today is the uh, 20th. Is that right? The 20th of, of uh, October, and we're doing Lesson 8 in uh, Yahu, Matthew, Part 1. Let's open in prayer. For our Father, our King, we thank you that you bring miracles to us every day. We're thankful that you have given us life and breath and an opportunity to live lives that please you, to bring you glory. And Lord, we thank you for this, for this is truly a miracle. We, sinful people, brought into your presence, cleansed by uh, the work of Messiah, and brought uh, to a place where we can be uh, holy before you, and where we can declare your holiness and your oneness to a world that needs you. We thank you for this miracle. And we ask, Father, that as we study the miracles of Yeshua, that we might be convinced and and, uh, uh, committed anew to serving him in service, uh, uh, Father, of bringing uh, good news and repairing the world. We pray in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. This is from the Shemona Esra, the Amidah. This is the prayer called Modim. Uh, it is Thanksgiving. We gratefully thank you, for it is you who are Lord our God and God of our forefathers for all eternity. Rock of our lives, shield of our salvation are you from generation to generation. We shall thank you and relate your praise for our lives which are committed to your power and for our souls that are entrusted to you, for your miracles that are with us every day and for your wonders and favors in every season, evening, morning, and afternoon. The beneficent one for your compassions were never exhausted and the compassionate one for your kindnesses never ended. Always have we put our hope in you. Amen. I love that. Um, for Matthew 8, which is we're looking at chapter 8, Matthew 8, verses 16 through 17, when evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, he himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. And uh, we are doing, uh, we're actually listing all the miracles we find as we're going through this book uh, in the back, in the appendix of this uh, workbook. Uh, this was a lot of homework this week, I know that, but you know, I'm, I don't know how you can move through Matthew without doing lots of lots of reading because it is a it's pretty intense. It really is. Lots of stuff, boy. Lots of stuff in chapter eight uh, is is important. One of the things we need to be careful of, and we're reading this also. We're marking every time we find fulfilled that which was fulfilled, or or because it was written or spoken of. All these things that we're writing, uh, we need to be careful anytime we see this though that we don't mis misconstrue what's being said. Common view, as we got from Matthew chapter five verses seventeen through eighteen, is is that. Uh, um, he did not come to. I did not come to abolish uh, the law, but to uh, fulfill it. Uh, this idea that somehow, once it's been settled, I'm Messiah. This is no longer important. It's viewed by some, not by me, but it's viewed by some that it was necessary for him to simply fulfill a prophecy. You understand? In other words, it was prophetic that a miracle worker would come. That's right. Check it off. Okay, got that done. Got that. Oh, guess what? We know who Messiah is now. And as we saw from our homework, that would be that would be awful. In fact, that would be the way to be led astray. If you look for a miracle worker <laughs> and say he's Messiah, you know, you'd be led astray for sure. Well, not for sure, but a miracle worker could be Messiah, and that's the important part. What was the criteria? Those who who uh, did your homework, what was the criteria for a miracle worker to be considered Messiah, or one like Moses, one who comes after Moses? Obedience. Obedience. So, a miracle worker alone, this is the, oh man, this is, it gives me, it, it gives me a heartburn to think about this. A miracle worker alone is a recipe, is a recipe for deception. At the beginning, when Moses went to Pharaoh and was doing 
and the plagues. That's right. Up until a certain point, I forget exactly which plague it was. The Egyptian magicians That's right. were able to replicate. The yeah. Up to the lice. Remember when they said, "This is the finger of God." We're going to talk about that because he talks about the finger of God in Matthew as well. This is the finger of God. When it got to that point, this is not. This is not something we can replicate. Remember, miracles are no guarantee of truth. What do miracles do? And if you did your homework, hopefully you already have this great, great background in miracles now and understanding why Yeshua used miracles. But let me just give you a heads up and for those of you who didn't get a chance to go through it, here's the big thing. Miracles are not about proving anything. Miracles are always about redemption. God cares deeply for human beings. And every morning that we wake up, it is a miracle. Isn't it? God cares deeply and He wants to remind us He's involved in our lives. And that's, the, that's the bottom line. A miracle worker must be obedient for him to be from God. It is not the miracles that verify he is from God. It is the fact that he is obedient. Consistency. Miracles get our attention, don't they? Last week we talked specifically about this. We talked about the Sermon on the Mount uh, and how Yeshua taught Torah to his disciples. He explained the way that God's law was supposed to be used. It was about relationship. It was not about fulfilling a list of commandments so that they could be considered pleasing to God. Although certainly God is is pleased with obedience. It was about relationship. He knew. God knew when he gave commandments. Just as we know with our children and with each other. When we follow the rules, we have fellowship. Um, And uh, what we see in chapter 8 and 9 are these miracle chapters. And we need to understand that they are about messianic authority and restoring relationship. He's restoring relationships in all of these miracles. And and bottom line is it's always about redemption. God's involved in our lives. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about uh, Tameh and Tahor. I've put in quotes, clean and unclean. Uh, you guys know uh, uh, created me a clean heart David said created me a clean heart uh, Lev Tahor that is clean heart uh, the words clean excuse me I have these backwards man that is really bad really bad really bad this is clean this is clean Tahor is clean Tame is unclean but those English words are really very unfortunate we end up with those in our, in our Bibles uh, understandable um Pure is probably better. Pure for Tahor is probably a better English translation. Uh, you'll see some places, ritually clean. I don't like that either. Um, and, you know, how do you say it? And that's actually why I use the Hebrew words, is because they, they really don't correctly convey in English what they mean. Uh, because it, you have to use sentences to describe them. Tamei means fractured, splintered, separated. Separated is the big point. In fact, without getting too graphic, when we look, at, when we look in, in, in Leviticus, the word tamay is used with regard to a, a, a woman's monthly cycle. And in English, it's translated the time of separation. So it's about separation. Okay? Uh, tahor is about the opposite. Restoration. Or being brought together. So what we see in, in, in this recognition is... When you use clean and unclean, or even ritually, especially ritually clean and unclean, you almost get this idea that it's, that it's about sin, and it's not. Normal life things make people tame, unclean, ritually unclean, or separated. Normal life things, death in a family. It is one of the greatest mitzvahs 
to care for a dead person, a dead, a dead loved one. And yet that very act makes someone separated, tame. Uh, separated in the most severe way, which would require seven days of separation from the temple and the ashes of a red heifer, which are not present today. So guess what? Everybody in this room, everybody in the world, today is coming. Because the only way to be made pure, to whore, in the sense of that it's being used here, is in fact includes ashes of a red heifer. That's why it's important. In other words, if the temple was rebuilt, nobody could go there until ashes of a red heifer. The process had to be done. you find that actually in the book of Exodus and Leviticus. It starts with the process of dedicating the temple. starts actually with ashes of a red heifer. Yes? Uh, I'm a little confused because I went back to look at this and what the leopard had to do. Yes. No, because that was that didn't require that wasn't about death. That's right. Death is the most severe. That's what requires ashes of a red heifer. And there's degrees of tome. This is a study, y'all. This is we we just touched this this week. This is a study that is actually very very worthy of our uh, our approach because all through the apostolic scriptures there's references to it. In fact, the greatest con- the greatest conflict as we've discussed in other classes within the apostolic uh, within the apostolic scriptures the greatest contest is not between law and grace the greatest contest is between can Gentiles be a part or not that's the fight the fight is can Gentiles be a part of this Paul's epistles are constantly going to this it's not the only contest he talks a lot about just being you know, uh, a, a righteously living person but the point is that's a lot of the contest going on that's the debate of the day it's the debate today too even if you don't know it in messianic circles everybody else is blown off figures it doesn't matter anymore but in messianic circles can Gentiles be a part are they full parts this congregation says not only yes but that's the point <laughs> right but there are others that they don't that's right that's right that's right that's exactly like second class members that's exactly right they um, said it was uh, it was not the circumcision of the body but the circumcision that's of right the that's right remember those are code words for unclean and clean that's exactly right so let's get into this Tameh and Tahor Torah is much about this because what is here's, here's the thing remember, we need to remember is that Messianic Judaism or rather the followers of Yeshua in the first century were a temple sect where do we find them in Acts they're always in the temple right so if they're in the temple what are they Jews. Well, well, they are. Yeah, they are Jews. Mostly Jews there, but if they're in their temple, what else are they? They're Tahor, right? So uh, they're maintaining. They're maintaining, and if they're not Tahor, because it's natural, those people aren't sometimes. Mm-hmm. So if they're not, they're not there. That's the, that's the differentiation. Um, it's about separation and relationship, and this is why we're getting this. is This is a great background for us to understand approaching God. Because we have this temple as a physical representation. Not just a physical representation. His very presence was there. And you couldn't go into his presence unless you were Tahor. There are things about human beings, just in general, because of not just because of sin, but because of the effects of sin, that make us offensive to him. And if they are not dealt with, we can't go there. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? We believe that, don't we? You know, what do we believe? We believe that our sin offends him. 
And it has to be dealt with. It can't be just forgotten about. It has to be dealt with first, then forgotten about. Can I ask you what they did with the ashes of the red head? The ashes of the red head were used to create a, uh, um, a uh, mixture of water that was sprinkled on people that would, at the final step, make them to whore. That's for people that were in contact with the dead body. Okay. Yeah. And also, it had to do with making the temple dedicated and also the... Uh, uh, other other things. Is they sprinkle it on the temple or uh, on the on the? Uh, well, just talk about people. They sprinkle it on people. Okay. Yeah, just start with that. Um, Ashes the red heifer, obviously, uh, and, and we, uh, uh, the writer of the Epistle of the Hebrews draws greatly from this the idea that the ash of the red heifer, the person that made the ashes was unclean because they by making the ashes made them unclean. They were in touch with the dead body, and yet the ashes themselves made someone to whore. It's, it's remarkable. Um, and we need to keep this in mind as we're moving through these miracles because these miracles are a lot about, about uh, restoring people to um, a right relationship with God uh, so that they're able to go into his presence. Leprosy, of all the levels of Tameh, right, separation, leprosy is like next to the top. Why? It is unclean, you know, unclean in quotes. But why? Why is it next to death? Death is the worst. You know, in contact with a dead body is the worst. People die from Actually, no. Yeah, I mean, people. No, yeah. Don't don't confuse it with leprosy that we see today. It's not Hansen's disease that people die of. People did not die of leprosy. Separated from the rest of the tribe. Boy, do you see what you're getting? See what? That's right. Why? Because it's contagious. This is a type of tummy. Not all tummy is. This is a type of tummy that's contagious. By the way, contact with a dead body is contagious too. In other words, if I've been in contact with a dead body and I go touch you, you become in the same way. Actually, it's not in the same way. To a lesser degree, you become uh, contaminated as well. It means you can't go to the temple until you prescribe the... Uh, the formula, the protocol, which would you make yourself to whore again? What's the Hebrew word that they translate leprosy? Uh, it, it is uh, uh, yeah, Tzara uh, or yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. is one of the parasha for Leviticus uh, chapter thirteen and fourteen is Mitzra, which is one of the uh, it's the title of it, a leper. Um, this disease is oftentimes and Judaism has a great grasp of this disease you know we need to we need to recognize that the idea that somehow lepers were being treated unfairly is absolutely false lepers were not being treated unfairly in the first century lepers are being treated according to the to the commandment leprosy was something that that basically people gave up on but here I want you to understand something very important if you go back to Leviticus chapter 13, we don't have time to go and read all this, but if you go back to Leviticus 13 and 14 to read, what you discover is that a leper, when he was completely contaminated, was then to whore. What? Completely contaminated. Not a spot or anything, part of his skin that wasn't contaminated. Once he got to that point, he was completely, he was to whore. He had to go to a priest and be declared to whore. He had to say, yes, is all of you, yes, look, there, all of you is contaminated, you're completely white, you're completely, your skin is completely white, now that's it, you're taller. What's going on? I mean, this is really baffling when you read it at first, until you begin to understand that leprosy is seen as a walking death. That's it, it's a walking death. It's a representation of death. God said the person that had 
had had uh, had this condition must be put out of a camp, must be separated, could not live with with everybody else. Why? Because it was a con- it was con- it, you could contaminate other people with it. What is this thing? And here's the way that Judaism looks at it. I'll explain it to you, and then you you begin to see if you think that this is correct. Judaism says, in general, says that that this disease that's being described here is something on the outside that represents something on the inside. Bitterness, speaking against a brother or sister in the case of uh, in the case of uh, uh, sister speaking against a brother in the case of Miriam and and, Mo- and Moses. Remember we talked about last week. How how dare you speak of my servant Moses that way? That's what God said in Numbers chapter twelve. He's the most humble of all. People speak against Moses all the all the time today in various congregations that meet on other days of the week. <laughs> Why do they speak against Moses? How dare they speak against my servant Moses? No one is as humble as him. No one has stood and seen me face to face. He has seen my form. Miriam spoke against him. That's the chapter. Miriam spoke against him. What happened? She immediately was struck with leprosy. And it's not just this, but other places as well. Something inside, a bitterness, a personal vendetta against someone else. Do you know how damaging unforgiveness is to us? It is manifested in what we do, isn't it? What's inside can't not come out. If you think that you can have bitterness and unforgiveness in your heart against anyone and it be a secret, you are wrong. It is not a secret. It corrupts us. It makes us, it doesn't only separate us from that person, it separates us from God. We cannot get away with this. Those who know Messiah, of all people, should know that you cannot harbor bitterness or unforgiveness in your heart. This disease is a proof of this. And that's why it's contagious. That's right. If I have bitterness and I interact with other people, that is certainly contagious. Oh, that is so right. That is so right. When we interact with other people, and and our bitterness and our hatred and our unforgiveness, other people are, are also polluted. Their relationships with that person or those people are also affected. With God, that's right. Great point. Excellent point. Uh, let's read a little bit about how this plays out in Matthew chapter 8. Uh, uh, if we don't get any further than understanding this concept and how Yeshua deals with it, then that's fine because this is a really important thing. It applies to us today uh, in profound ways. And people ask all the time, well, why don't I see a leprosy today? And, you, and actually, there is very little of it, if any at all. Why? And actually, if you go through Israel's history, there's only periods when, it's, when, it, when it shows up in any great numbers. And this is, a, this is a historical fact. The first century is one of those points. Why? What's going on? Do you know why the temple was destroyed? It wasn't destroyed because the Jews didn't recognize Messiah. That may have part, play a part in it. But you know why it was destroyed? Because murder and jealousy and speaking against a brother was rampant. That's right. Go ask rabbi at, at uh, any, any synagogue anywhere, non-Messianic. Why was the temple destroyed? That's what they'll say. Because murder and hatred for brothers was rampant. Wasn't it because so, uh, they, the Romans felt that the Jews had too much power? But why did God let his holy house be destroyed? Because you don't want to live with your brother in unity. Why would you, why would you want to come to me? Right? It's, about, it's about restoring relationships. So why is there no temple? Because brothers and sisters don't live in unity. That's right. 
And, and, and so it's important to understand the first century, that's what's going on, and it's going to be dealt with about 40-some-odd years later by the temple being destroyed. Okay. Go to chapter 8, verse 1. When he, speaking of Yeshua, came down from the mountain. Remember, he's already spoken. This is the end of the time of the Sermon on the Mount. Great multitudes followed him. Why? He's a miracle worker. Galilee is the region of miracle workers. He's not alone, as you read in your homework. Choni, the circle drawer. He's like renowned. Uh, later on, Hananiah ben Dosa. He's from also the Galilee. We see these renowned, these renowned Torah teachers working great miracles. Okay? Yeshua's in that mold, the Hasidic, the, the pious one from the Galilee. He's, just, he's different from those that are coming from Jerusalem in this regard. Miracle worker. Hey, this is great. We can go get healed. Right? And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, what does he call him? If you were speaking Hebrew, what would you say? Adoni. Master. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. You can make me tahor. Whoa, wait a minute. Now you see, remember this miracle. This is a miracle that's now solved. Uh, the Pharisees were renowned as, de- as those who could uh, exercise demons. They could, demon, demon possession uh, was not a problem. Not generally a problem. Uh, today, you read the Talmud, it talks about casting out demons. It's, it's, it's something that, in fact, they, they were successful at. Uh, healing people. You know, miracles are not uncommon. Not only in the Bible, but in the Talmud. Miracles are not, are not uncommon. They're very common. Miracles are expected because God's involved with us. Right? This is one that now, we can't fix this. Eventually it fixes itself. Everybody gets, somebody gets completely contaminated, they're welcome back. If they don't die before then because the disease is very slow. If they don't die before then, they're welcome back in. Okay? Um, <laughs> so eventually it's fixed, but this is one they can't solve. Why does this leper come and say this to him? You can heal me. You can make it. He doesn't say heal me. You can make me a whore. It's remarkable. What is Yeshua's response? Verse, uh, verse 3. Then Yeshua puts out his hand and what? Touched him. Whoa, wait a minute. Can he heal with a word? Yes. So why doesn't he heal him with a word? Listen to what he says. And Yeshua said, See that you tell no one, but go on your way. Show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. In verse, uh, verse 16 and 17, verse 17, he says, He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. And in fact, Isaiah 53 is speaking specifically about this disease. What? He took on our separation. He took on our association with death. That's what, remember, why did he touch him? That's death. And he, and he willingly touched it. What was he when, the, when he touched him? He's master of the world, don't misunderstand. But what did he become? Tame. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not at all embarrassed to say it. It's true. He became Tame. He could not go into the temple immediately after this. He could not. He would not have. Because that would be an abomination. Did he have to become Tahor? Yes, he did. Absolutely. Uh, any human being during that time, a, a observant Jew as he would, would know this and do it. It is not wrong. That's why you need to remember, Tameh is not sin. Tameh is evidence that sin is in the world. 
The Tame itself is not sin. You may have sinned and become Tame, but Tame itself is not sin. Okay? He reaches out, touches him, he becomes Tame. What has he done? He has just identified completely with this leper. Completely identified with him. And what does the leper become? He's not, he's not really Tahor yet. Okay? But he is not, no longer afflicted with this disease. Is that not remarkable? Yeshua becomes Tameh, and the result of this is the leper becomes Tahor. An exchange. Does that give you chills? It gives me chills. <laughs> He's exchanged. He's exchanged. You take, you take life, I'll take death. That's right. That's exactly right. That's right. That's right. This is this is redemption. This miracle is about redemption, isn't it? It's about salvation. What is what does he tell him to do then? Listen, let's just forget you wherever tame because you're clean now. I mean, you're healed. It's not no longer afflicting you. Don't tell anybody. No. What does he say? Don't tell anybody. But a me- why? Well, first of all. He wants to make sure that this whole thing is settled as it's supposed to be settled. Why? Because the only person that can say someone is Tahor is a priest that examines him. So much for him abolishing Leviticus 13 or 14. Leviticus 14, for those of you who went through and did your homework, what did you discover in Leviticus 14? Leviticus 14, you discovered that the leper who becomes healed, uh, there's actually, it's addressed in Leviticus, a leper who is healed, healed, must go to a priest to be declared Tahor. It assumes that the lepers will be healed. When were they healed? Miriam, Na- uh, Naaman, uh, and here. Uh, no, not a whole lot of lepers got healed ever. It's certainly a huge miracle when it happens. This is beyond. This is like resurrection from the dead, and that is exactly what we're supposed to be seeing. This is like resurrection from the dead. This is the grace of all miracles. Isn't it? Is resurrection of the dead the greatest of all miracles? Amen. Absolutely, it is. In fact, in the Amidah, that's exactly the, the Shimon Esrei prayer. That's exactly what it says. God's might is being declared by a resurrection from the dead. That's the, the name of that that benediction. That that blessing is God's might. And what is it all about? You resurrect the dead. Blessed are you who resurrects the dead. So we see this. He's resurrecting the dead. This is the this is a someone who's dead. Now they're alive. Seventeen says he bore our infirmities. That's right. He became, as it were, that's right, Tame. He became Tame. So we see this this just this remarkable thing. But I think what's also remarkable is the leper recognizes life when he sees it. <laughs> the lepers separated from everyone, except other lepers, right? congregating with other lepers right uh, which is great I mean I, I, I love that when you find ten lepers oh, we have a minion we could pray together that's right absolutely you know that's wonderful you know but you know we can pray together but we can't go to the temple and pray you know which is you know we can't be with our families so we have we have this one leper now who's now an opportunity for life he goes back we assume that he goes back follows through and he follows through what is he he's restored to his family he's restored to everybody priest no doubt is going huh now this is often this is often given as a testimony to them well he just wants the priestly cast to know that he's come to to fix everything and I don't agree with that at all as a testimony to men is what's commanded in Leviticus 14 Leviticus 14 commands the person who has been healed from this condition to go to a priest to be declared to whore, right? 
it's as a testimony to them so that when we go to the temple somebody goes whoa what are you doing here you've just polluted the whole place <laughs> right it's supposed to be the public declaration people want to talk about a, a, uh, a public confession of faith that's what we're talking about here a public confession this is a public saying I am no longer to me and a priest can verify it right that's, that's what he means he's not saying somehow he's trying to uh, make a point with, with the priestly caste Madak Yahoo is a priest uh, he wasn't a very good one obviously in the very beginning he's a tax collector but <laughs> uh, actually he may not have been a priest he was a Levite um, yes hey Lois how are you glad to have you here um I'm just stuck on what you said before about if a leper was completely yeah. white. Why? He would be clean. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No. Nope. No. In fact, if you read in, in Leviticus 13 or 14, you read the whole passage, you find out that once they're completely covered, all they had to do was have a priest say, "Yes, you are. There's no spot that's not not infected. You're 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 clean." I mean. As a, it's not the that's the point. It's not the disease that makes them this way. It's the fact that yeah, it is. When I say I, I, that's a great, I'm, I'm sorry. I may I may have confused people by saying that. When I say contagious, the condition of Tame is contagious. The disease is not. No, it's not. Ben Hur is wrong. <laughs> and Ben Hur, they're separated because they're contagious. And that's the common view of this. That's exactly... I'm glad you brought that up. The common view of leprosy is it's contagious. Hansen's disease isn't really even contagious. It's contagious, so therefore that's why they had to be separated. No, they had to be separated because Leviticus 13, 14 said you had to be separated because it's not contagious externally. It's contagious internally. When I said contagious, I meant the tame, the condition of being tame, unclean, separated, is contagious. So if I, when Yeshua touched the leper, he did not contract the disease. He contracted the, what made that disease separating. So he could no longer go to the temple until he complied with Leviticus 14. Actually, he did not become tame in the same degree. He was a lesser degree. I think it's evening and then... He did not have to have answers of red heifer and all that kind of stuff, like a dead person. Uh, touching the leper, I, I could be wrong, I have to, have to look at it real quickly, but he, he basically, he became the daily type. So by the end of the day, if he washed, he would have been considered to whore. Yeah. So does, that, does that answer your question? Okay, thank you for asking that. Are you saying that's a heart condition? Uh, no, it's an external condition. Yeah. It's, this is hard. This is hard to wrap our, heart, our minds around. <laughs> It's hard to wrap our minds around. But you said it's not the external, but the internal. That's right. So I said, is it the heart, a heart condition? Yes, it is. Tame is, inter- is a heart condition. That's right. But it has to do with external things. Do we not Have we not learned that already? I mean, we've learned that. The outside is connected to the inside. There ain't no separating at all. At all. It's always connected. Always connected. A whole thing. A whole person. Now let's get to Gentiles because this is very important. We now want, I want to at least touch this before we finish. Uh, chapter 8, verse 5 says, Now when Yeshua had entered Capernaum. Anybody been to Capernaum? Capernaum? Yeah, great place. It's still a, a synagogue there built in the 3rd and 4th century. It is built upon the synagogue that Yeshua said in John chapter 6, I'm the bread of life. So it's a great, it's a great place to go and eat bread. 
uh, he went to Capernaum and the centurion came to him pleading with him saying Lord Adoni Lord my servant is lying at home paralyzed dreadfully tormented and Yeshua said to him I will come and heal him uh, and the centurion answered and said Lord I'm not worthy you should come under my roof very important phrase here under my roof but only speak a word and my servant will be healed for I am a man under authority having soldiers under me and I say to that to this one go and he goes and to another come and he comes and to my servant do this and he does it and he sure heard it and marveled and said to those who followed assuredly I say to you I have not found such faith not even in Israel speaking of faith what is the faith that he has that Yeshua has the authority that's it Yeshua has the authority to do this what is he speaking of? It's not just a miracle worker. You know, I didn't just find a miracle worker. I, I, found, I found someone. You're someone who he calls him Adoni. I don't know that it's uncommon to say that, but it's certainly a little bit scary to call someone Adoni. Especially when they're a centurion and they're a commander and they're an authority. That's right. He's calling this... Little rabbi, yeah. you know, ragtag group, you know, leader of a ragtag group. <laughs> Lord. <laughs> uh, in Luke, we find out that this, this Gentile is actually the reason he felt like he could speak to him is because he's a God fearer. He's a friend of Israel. He's a, he's a, he's a God fearer. What is a God fearer? A God fearer is someone who is Gentile. Very much, there's a lot of God fearers in Israel in this first century. And they, they put the shame, remember all the bloodshed? And the hatred that was going on, they put to shame many who were ethnically Jewish. Because they attached themselves to the God of Israel, they hadn't gone through ritual conversion. That's the key phrase there is they had not gone through circumcision. It's not the act of circumcision. It's the whole conversion into Judaism. Right? They hadn't gone through that. They, they have attached themselves to Israel. This phrase, God-fearer, is a phrase that describes this person. In Luke, it says he's a God-fearer. He's a God-fearer. Um, Remember, it is tradition, tradition that says that a Gentile will make you Tameh. Why? It is true that Gentiles do things that can convey uncleanness. A perfect example, contact with a dead person. they got no problem. We walk through cemeteries. What's the problem? You know, shake my hand. Uh, you know, here's the reason why I don't want to be. Don't misunderstand. I don't want to be around a Gentiles because I don't know where you've been. <laughs> right? I don't know where you've been. So because of that, it's not wrong. It's not. There's some reasons for it. But the tradition was that a Gentile being with a Gentile could make you tame. What does that mean? Remember, separated. I'm separated. I could convey that separation to other people. I mean, it's contagious, right? I could convey this separation to other people. And eventually, guess what happens? Somebody ends up in the temple that shouldn't be there. And what have we just done? We've just brought this dirtiness into the very holy presence of the Almighty. That's why Yom Kippur, that is the reason for Yom Kippur, is to make the temple acceptable every year. In case... Because we know it has happened, you know, in case somebody's been there, shouldn't be there. So, this is a big deal. So that's why we stay away from Gentiles. Do you understand how, why it is that Yeshua deals with Gentiles the way he does? When you understand that. Because it's a tradition. And we're going to find out his disciples took this tradition by the horns and made a big deal over it. But Yeshua is not ready to teach that yet. Does he touch the Gentile? No. 
Does he go into the Gentiles' home? No. He heals at a distance. Could he, have been, could he have healed the leper at a distance? Yes. He chose to identify with death. He's not ready to identify yet with... He's not taking this tradition down yet. He's not taking the tradition of Gentiles down yet. So what has he done? He has declared that Gentiles are worthy of a relationship with God as well. Remember, miracles are about relationship, restoring relationship. They're about redemption. So he's dealt with that. Is that the first one? Is that the first bell? No, not quite. See, I'm, I'm deaf, you guys. Sometimes I hear bells. <laughs> He's about restoring relationship. The Gentile understands Yeshua's authority. This is great to me. He's a God-fearer. He's one that already knows the God of Israel. He's enamored. He is convinced that Judaism is the only way to God. He's convinced that the God of Israel is the only God. He's convinced that God loves people and wants a relationship with them. And when he sees the Master, what is his response? This is easy. You are Adoni. You're the Master. You're Lord. You can fix this. My servant. Most likely his servant. Who knows? His servant may have been Gentile, may have been Jewish. It's hard to know. Uh, but he loves his servant. Here's another remarkable thing. A god fear would love his servant. Uh, another centurion we need to read about later in the book of Acts is Cornelius. We looked at him a lot, uh, last week, I think it was. Yeah, Cornelius. Uh, a god fear. Yeah, thank you. Let's go to Peter's mother-in-law. Another rest, uh, 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 tradition, or another uh, relationship restored. In verse 15, now when, excuse me, verse 15, he touched, excuse me, go to verse 14. Now when Yeshua had come into Peter's house, this is in Capernaum also, he saw his wife, Peter's wife's mother, lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and fever left her, and she arose and served them. Now this is not about Tamei and Tahor. Touching someone who's sick might get you sick, thank you. Uh, might get you sick, but it wasn't about making you unable to go into the temple. Okay? Um, but he restored this relationship. Uh, and the last one I want to talk about is in verse 16. Healing on the Sabbath. When evening had come, they brought many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out spirits with a word. As we go through this uh, this sequence here as evening come they brought him who were demon possessed cast out spirits of word and healed all who were sick so it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet he healed himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses and when she saw a great multitude is this the right one? That's verse 16 through 17? Yeah. Uh, uh, When evening had come, it's the phrase for the end of the Sabbath. He didn't heal on the Sabbath. This was after the Sabbath's over. Does he ever heal on the Sabbath? Yes. In fact, it's a very big point we're going to get to later on. But on this occasion, he waits until after the Sabbath, the Shabbat is over. So when evening had come, it's it's for Havdalah. We see this in Acts as well, talking about it's the time of separation. Havdalah means to separate. It's a separation between the seventh day and the rest of the week the days of the work rest day and work days so he waits until evening and then he heals them this is a tradition don't misunderstand it's a tradition that you can't heal on the Sabbath it's a tradition upheld in the Talmud as well okay but what I want you what I, the point I'm trying to make here is I want you to recognize that sometimes Yeshua acknowledges a tradition and doesn't try to overturn it and other times 
he points if the tradition is wrong, and other times he does, he's neutral on the tradition, it just, it's a point. And his disciples are much the same way. People talk about walking on the Sabbath, not driving a car today. That's a tradition. It's not a bad tradition. I like that tradition. I really do. Honestly do. Uh, I drive my car here. I'm sorry if you're offended by that, but it's true. Uh, but at the same time, it's not a bad tradition. But understand, our first, the first century's disciples, they would have, they would have, they like that tradition. They, they make a point of it in, at the end of Luke. A Sabbath day journey to Beth, to, uh, to, uh, um, uh, yeah. Yeah. I can't remember the name. Yeah. Uh, up at Batavalos. A Sabbath day journey. It was, they, they make the point that this is tradition they acknowledged. Okay? So, sometimes Yeshua overturns tradition, sometimes he doesn't. When he does, and this is, I, I think this is really important, when he does overturn tradition, there's a reason. He doesn't overturn it for, tradi- for that sake. He's not, a, he's not a table crasher. He's not, a, he's not a, uh, one who turns over the tables without reason. Okay? He acknowledges that some traditions are good. They help us connect to God well, and to keep the commandments. That's, and that's another, we're going to talk about that. And he's accused of working, and then we're he going to talk about that. Why not take the animal out of the gift? That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Uh, I want to talk one more thing before we finish, and then we're going to pray. In chapter 8, verse 23 through 34, there's this marvelous descri- description of Yeshua going across the Sea of Galilee into the west bank of Gal- the Galilee and ending up in, in Gentile territory. That's in the Decapolis. That's Roman area. Uh, not Romans living there, but it's Roman control, the Ten Cities area. And this is Gentile area. This is demoniac, this person uh, that is a, is, is a demon-possessed why does he go over to a Gentile area to teach? He's just now healed a centurion servant by not going into his house, honoring the tradition of Tameh, and a Gentile being Tameh, to tradition, right? But now he goes into Gentile territory. And, and, you know, the only thing that you can come up with when you look at this is because he immediately gets back in a boat after it's all done and goes back. How about another reason we know it's Gentile territory? A bunch of pigs around. <laughs> I'm sorry, no pigs in the land of Israel. None, zip, nada. Pigs were not allowed. Not even as garbage cleaners. Not even as vacuum cleaners. Not allowed. He goes. In, he goes into Gentile territory. And the only thing that I can get from him, he goes into Gentile territory to let the spirits of darkness know I'm here. Wow. I'm taking you on. What does he want to do? He wants to restore a relationship. What did he do? This man who is possessed and now cast out. Demons cast out. What does he... He immediately wants to follow him. <laughs> Can I be a part of your group? This is, this is... Don't be offended by this. He's not ready yet. He's not ready to, to knock down his tradition of Gentiles and coming. He's not ready yet. He restores him to his family, certainly. Townspeople, whatever. But he doesn't restore him. He doesn't say, yeah, come on. Join our merry band. Why? How, how is he going to minister to the sons of Abraham with this huge tradition hanging over their heads? This tradition that even our fathers were not able to bear, as, as Peter talks about in Acts chapter 15. He's got, to, he's got to make the point first of restoring relationship to the sons of Abraham. That's all I can get out of it. Uh, I mean, it's a great story anyway. It's a great story. It's a wonderful story. Um, those of us that come from a Gentile heritage, Ger, aliens, Gentile, Gerim, uh, we need to recognize that Yeshua 
uh, and certainly by the by evidence of his apostles, deeply cares about us as well. But in this story, what we what we see is, I mean, he casts out the demon, right? In this story, we see that he is he is starting with Israel first. That's why our mandate is Israel first. Uh, and you know, all of us that get to go come along in the coattails, do we get restored? Isn't that wonderful? We do. And, and his miracles do restore us. Uh, we're going to talk about today again. Matthew does not leave this point. Matthew being from a, uh, a Levite, the Levite, the tribe of Le- Levi, the tribe of Levi, in fact, is very, make, wants to make this point. Luke does too, but he really wants to make this point about Tamei and Tahor. We see it a lot in this book. And, and uh, we're going to see, in fact, that, that Yeshua um, raises people from the dead by, by being in their presence as well you know and it, 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 so he does take he does take tradition on and he will see that in chapter 9 he does take tradition on and he deals with tradition when he can when he, when he feels like it's important and other times he, he allows the tradition to stand and for the time being those of us from a Gentile heritage we're just going to have to be patient and realize for the time being we're just seeing it through Israel's eyes let's close in prayer our Father, we do thank you that you are good and gracious to us, that you have declared us to whore by the work of Messiah, that you have declared us holy and righteous. Lord, we thank you that you have done this. We realize that to do that, Messiah, our Master, had to become Tame. He had to bear our worldliness, our sickness. We know, Father, that he also took upon himself our sin the things that we willfully and intentionally have done in rebellion against you. And Father, and by doing so, he has restored us in relationship so that we can live righteous lives, so that we can be pleasing to you. Thank you that you have continued to pull us back from our rebellion. Thank you for Yeshua's mighty work on our behalf. We pray in Yeshua's name. Amen.